Hey, careful, man! There's a beverage here, huh? 90.7 You're listening to Aspect Radio. I'm Corey Kraft. And I am Ben Flanagan, and Corey, I'm only partially aware of your feelings about 3D, but something tells me that you could be combating a pair of not-so-favorable feelings toward the craze of the resurrected and considerably reimagined and altered format. Our guest today recently shot out to Los Angeles for an internship with the reputable gaming company IGN Entertainment, where he often contributes articles to IGN.com. He's also a former contributor to Chud.com, but you and I know him as the love child of Sideshow Bob and Hurley from Lost. Um, we also know him as the former managing editor, assistant to the entertainment editor, and lowly volunteer arts critic. Phil Owen joins us from Los Angeles. Phil, Phil, welcome to the program. Uh, thanks a lot. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem, man. Glad to have you back on these airwaves. It might have been a while, I guess. Uh, but look, Phil, we've seen a relatively rapid emergence of 3D as a more than viable marketing machine these days that continues to generate billions of dollars at the box office. I mean, you could say that the format tested a few years ago with something like Beowulf, and then the, re- the releases for it just sort of steadily increased, especially children's movies like Monsters vs. Aliens, Up, and Ice Age 3, uh, which all performed very well financially. Uh, but once James Cameron's Avatar hit, and pardon the expression, it sort of changed the game for good, um, becoming the all-time domestic and worldwide grosser, the movie which grossed nearly three, or which has grossed nearly three billion worldwide, told studios 3D is here to stay, especially considering 80% of the tickets purchased for these films are for 3D screenings. But as the demand goes up, so does the price. In Tuscaloosa, a matinee 3D ticket costs 9.75, whereas in Los Angeles or New York City, it costs between 12 and 14 dollars. Now, Phil. You currently reside in Los Angeles, where it costs a pretty penny to watch Clash of the Titans or How to Train Your Dragon in 3D. Uh, have you fallen for the format, like 80% of the people seeing these films? Uh, I have not seen a 3D movie since Avatar. And, uh, I mean, the, the thing about that is just that the, there's been three releases since then, three big releases. There's Alice, uh, How to Train Your Dragon, and Clash of the Titans. But I didn't see Alice. And then by the time How to Train Your Dragon came out, they bumped charge up. So, you know, now here to see a movie in three D it costs an extra five dollars. And generally I'm just not gonna pay that unless you know, it's something important to me. Or if it's you know, I'll I'll see a horror movie for that much, <laughs> even though that's really dumb, but You're gonna catch um, Piranha three D. Yeah, I'll see Piranha three D, I'll see, you know, Crank three D, I'll see Toronto three D here. But in general it's just not worth those you know, the increase to me, just because movies here are so expensive anyway, you know, uh, <laughs> to see to see How to Train a Dragon or Clash of the Titans in an AMC theater here, uh, you know, on a Friday night is 1850, which is just horrendous. You know, I, I, I when, uh, you know, when I can go down to the, the local indie theater and see a movie for $8 in the afternoon, I, I just don't see what the point is. So, Phil... Avatar, uh, as as you and I know, was designed and shot in 3D, and sort right. of set the gold standard. Um, but the recent releases, uh, excluding, of course, How to Train Your Dragon, which is which is animated, uh, have been 
uh, converted to 3D in post-production. Could you talk a little bit about that process and, and, and the reaction to Clash of the Titans? Well, <laughs> the funny thing about uh, you know post-production conversion of, of into 3D is that it's you know it's not the same, and you can't you can't just do that in a convincing way. Um, you know, I, I don't regret paying to see Avatar at all. Uh, I mean, I, I enjoyed it. It's, I, I don't think it's a great movie or anything, but it was you know it's a good time, and the 3D is definitely an experience. So you go into something like Clash of the Titans, in which basically you've You've got a bunch of, uh, I don't know how to describe this, it's, it's like flat planes just extending in front of the screen. And uh, it's not, you're not getting the actual experience, and you're actually getting a distracting experience that, that, that quite possibly will detract from the experience for you. Uh, <laughs> it, uh, it sort of seems counterproductive to me. And, you know, and it's all in the name of, of the almighty dollar, of course. Well, without getting too verbose, I'll just say that I'm not a fan of 3D. I find it distracting, and I just always come to the same conclusion that I would have probably enjoyed a movie that I saw in 3D uh, just as much or even more so had I seen it in 2D. And I have yet to watch one of these retrofitted 3D movies, but at no point would I ever forget about the reasons the studios chose to present a movie that way, which Phil just mentioned. You know, and I think if a film is conceived and executed as a two-dimensional experience, I'll likely choose to see it that way. And unless movie like Avatar comes along and makes a case for the format's future within the medium, I'll probably continue to choose 2D over 3D. And I'll throw this question out to either of you. What are your thoughts on the retrofit 3D presentation? Corey, I know that you chose to see Clash of the Titans in 2D uh, based on what you had heard about the poor quality of the 3D uh, in terms of the retrofit style. Well, yeah, you know, I agree with you. If a movie's conceived in 2D, that's generally the way to see it. Now, I, I did see Alice in Wonderland in 3D, and it didn't strike me as terribly distracting, exactly. But, I mean, here, here's the thought, at least for now, audiences don't seem to care about supposedly shoddy 3D conversion. You know, well, these they are, don't know about it. Well, yeah, these are, these are primarily internet critics, you know, and, and print critics who are saying, hey guys, you know, this is... This is a, a sloppy process, you know, you're, you're spending your money to see something that they didn't really put a lot of work into, but audiences are doing it anyway. Now, um, well, Phil and I actually had a discussion uh, yesterday about an article in Variety, uh, an interview with Jeffrey Katzenberg, um, who is uh, DreamWorks Paramount big big wig um, the animation before chief we get to yeah. say, can i make a point about what you're saying about audiences going anyway? yeah yeah go, go for it uh you know the, the the fact is that despite this this sort of huge surcharge that you have to pay when you go see one of these movies it's it's not translating into you know in, into box office necessarily i mean how to train a dragon made 43 million dollars opening weekend despite costing five dollars extra to go see it and that's you know that that alone you know caused DreamWorks stock to drop several dollars you know on Monday. Sure, but that came out. There's no question that Alice in Wonderland, which has now grossed over three hundred million dollars domestic, saw a huge boom in in attendance because of 3D. Considering that the drop it experienced. The, 
Right, and that was, but that was back when it was still Avatar level. Players. Well, sure. You know, right. now it now it costs more. And Clash yeah, of the Titans it, isn't doing too bad. It's not doing badly. It's actually doing pretty well, much better than How to Train Your Dragon. I mean, I, th- I think that that the the lack of success or the success that DreamWorks wanted for How to Train Your Dragon, I think that is reflected uh, by the increased ticket sales right before that movie came out. It seems that that strategy sort of backfired. Right. Um, and which is, I, I think, you know, good good that it backfired because. Honestly, when you're charging this much extra to see uh, a movie, and How to Train Your Dragon, I've heard, is a much better 3D experience than a lot of these retrofitted um, 3D movies like Clash of the Titans or Alice in Wonderland. Um, I'm, have Corey, I think you've seen How to Train Your Dragon at this point. Not yet. Oh, I, you I, haven't. I'm hoping to see it later today, actually. Well, Graham has seen it, and he's going to join us a little later, so he can tell us a little bit about that. And I think that that movie was, for the most part, uh, designed for the 3D sure. experience. And uh, that makes a difference. I think it's unfortunate that um, it the timing where they did increase the prices came uh, when How to Train Your Dragon was released because it got great reviews and everybody says this is one of the better 3D movies that they've seen. Uh, I wish that this had happened uh, the next week when Clash of the Titans came out, when uh, all of this ugly behavior, um, w- w- like which is where that all sort of began. But Phil, um, you said that you haven't seen a 3D movie since Avatar. I mean, is this uh, primarily because you can't afford it or because you uh, don't really care for uh, the format? Well, I, I wasn't really interested in Alice. I was interested in How to Train a Dragon, and I had planned on seeing that, but then the you know the price increase came, and I just couldn't see the value of going, you know, I, I in order to, uh, you know, cut costs, I'll go to go to weekend morning shows and whatnot when it's, when it's significantly cheaper to see a movie, but it, even if, even going to see that, it was going to cost $12 to see it, and I just didn't see the value in, in going to, you know, pay $12 for that when I could just pay $7 for something else, and that, I mean, that's, that's really what it came down to for me the last two weeks. Well, well tell us a little bit about that Jeffrey Katzenberg article. Uh, going back to that now, now he is one of the primary uh, executives behind the release of How to Train Your Dragon, and uh, he had some, yeah, he had some words about Clash of the Titans, I believe, in that article. If you if you wouldn't mind going over that, uh, well, actually, you know, to, to me, uh, we can get to that in a minute. But the, I think the important part of, of of what Katzenberg had to say was that uh, you know the the 3D surcharge is because of the, the burden the studios are, are putting on exhibitors when they have these 3D movies. Um, you can't, the, I, I guess what it comes down to is that you can't do this 3D on a film projector. You have to have, uh, you know, a big, expensive new digital projector in order to pull this off. And the, the, the exhibitors have slowly been coming around to this, but they, you know, in general don't see the point in retrofitting all of their screens with new digital projectors when they don't get anything out of it, money-wise. Um, this, uh, this price increase sort of came about because they were like, hey, we need to sort of offset this cost, and so they're going to jack up the prices. Um, and, I, you know, I thought that was, <laughs> that was an important thing to, to, uh, to point out here. But... Uh, as far as Clash of the Titans, Katzenberg said that this is this could be the beginning of a of a negative trend towards 3D. You know, he said if we continue with with putting out these uh, shoddily converted 3D, you know, post production 3D movies um, at this at this this uh, 
increased ticket price, then we could see the death of the, the 3D format within, you know, a year, which is sort of, you know, crazy considering how, uh, how all the studios are hopping on the bandwagon. Well, I mean... Um, you could, I mean, you could make the argument, maybe he is too, that they're sort of, uh, I hate to use a, a, a derogatory term here, and I'll avoid doing that, but they're sort of uh, peaking a little too early, you know what I'm saying? Um, and they're just kind of uh, getting as much out of, uh, they're sort of having their cake and eating it too, so to speak. And, uh, you know, to pro provide a little perspective here on uh, what Katzenberg and uh, what he's saying and why he feels this way, um, this all started back when Clash of the Titans decided to retrofit uh, the film with the 3D format. Uh, How to Train Your Dragon was going to come out a week before, and it was going to occupy the 3D screens that Alice in Wonderland had previously occupied, and there are only so many 3D screens out there. When Clash of the Titans, uh, when Warner Brothers decided to fit it with 3D, uh, that basically eliminated the majority of 3D screens that How to Train Your Dragon had, which upset um, Jeffrey Katzenberg greatly because that meant he's going to lose a lot of money. So you can understand why he's upset, can't you, Phil? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you know, right now there's, there's more, there's three 3D movies out, and that's unprecedented in the, in the era of digital 3D. Um, there's never really been more than one at a time, because they only come out once every couple of months. Uh, but now we've got three, and, uh, you know, considering that, you know, here, you might have digital theaters everywhere, but, but, you know, you go to, well, like, you go to the Cobb in Tuscaloosa, and they have two digital screens out of, out of the 16 screens they have. And so obviously that's premium real estate for the studios when when that that's more the norm throughout the nation than it is you know than than it is to have entire theaters in three D here. Um, so I mean you know it's, they're fighting over space. So it's it's uh, until until all the exhibitors come around and they won't until they you know make a have a significant return on this price increase. Uh, it's 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 going to be sort of a fist fight for the screen. Corey, do you have 3D fatigue at this point? I mean, with three 3D movies in the theaters, uh, do you think this is a little much? Or do you th or do you think the more 3D, the merrier, if they can do it right? <clears throat> yeah, if they can do it right, why not? You know, I, I'm not... I'm, I don't really dislike this format. Um, obviously, I have reservations with live-action movies that are converted in post-production to 3D. But... All the animated films that I've seen in 3D have been really kind of terrific. You know, it adds a lot to animation. Um, with live-action films, I would I would err more towards you know those movies that have been conceived from the get-go in 3D, like Avatar. But I think that the process adds a lot to animation, uh, and I'm sure we'll talk about a Christmas Carol with Graham uh, in a moment. But that's one situation where the 3D really added a lot to that experience. Well, uh, go ahead, Phil. Uh, well, to me, it, it also adds a lot to, to horror movies. Um, I mean, I paid twice to see My Bloody Valentine in 3D last year, and I went to see, you know, The Final Destination in 3D, and I had a great time, and I think I think the 3D actually, you know, legitimately added to those experiences. Yeah, and, uh, the you Final know, Destination is that Those, those uh, you know, were shot in 3D, which sort of, and, and, you know, those are low-budget movies. They don't cost a lot to produce, and they still shot them in 3D, which sort of puts the lie to the fact that it's too expensive to shoot in 3D. Um, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it may be too expensive to, to render the effects of 3D, but, but in general, you know, you can, you can make a 3D movie 
you know, the right way, I guess, and, uh, you know, without breaking your budget. Well, Phil, what would you say is the best 3D experience you've had so far? Um, I mean, I, you know, I, I want to say Avatar. I mean, that, that's, that's just about the defining 3D experience for me. But as far as the most fun I had at the movies with a 3D movie, I'd probably go with the Final Destination just because it's just so, it was so outrageous that, that you know, the 3D is, is, uh, is the kind of gimmick, it's the kind of uh, outrageous gimmick, I, I, I uh, suppose, that, uh, that really complemented the movie. It's, uh, you know, it's an outrageous gimmick that, that complements an outrageous movie to summarize. Well, um, what was the last movie that you've seen in the theater, Phil? I'm curious. The last movie I saw in the theater was uh, <laughs> Adam McGoyan's Chloe. Uh-huh. I saw that last weekend. Yeah, we don't feel so special out there in Los Angeles <laughs> because that played in Birmingham last week, Phil. Yeah. How do you feel uh, about I that? Know. I know. Well, I mean, yeah, but... Go ahead. Chloe's been out for two weeks, and I, you know, I didn't see it until the second weekend. So. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, you've got all access to pretty much whatever you want to see whenever you want to see it. Um, what's on, the, I guess, the top of your list of priorities in terms of movies you could only see in L.A.? Uh, for this week, I'm going to see The Square, which is uh, a new thriller. It's the debut of the Edgerton brothers, uh, Joel Edgerton, <laughs> who you <laughs> might remember from, uh, who, who played uh, Owen Lars and. Uh, Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. So yeah, they they put out this uh, this Australian thriller that uh, that I'm really looking forward to going to see. I'll probably see that tonight. Awesome. Um, it's kind of a dead weekend, really. Uh, you know, I get I get a lot of uh, I get newsletters from the the indie theaters here, and and uh, you know the one of the one of the newsletters basically said, "Hey, guess what? We're still showing the Secret of the Kells from last weekend, and that was like the big news." So, you know, it's, it's sort of a dead weekend, not just everywhere else with only one new movie coming out, but it's, you know, even here, it's not really, it's not really exciting this week. Well, I mean, you've also got retrospectives, too. That's the unique thing well, yeah. about places like Los Angeles and New York. There are these theaters, cool little theaters all around the community are always willing to uh, show you a classic or a series of films from a, a you know, legendary director, so that's something you could also take advantage of. You're, you're lucky to be out there, man, and uh, we really do appreciate you waking up this early out there on the coast and talking 3D with us on your Saturday morning. Um, oh, yeah, I, I, uh, I'm always happy to rant about 3D. Good, man, and if people <laughs> want to read your stuff for IGN, where should they visit? Um, well, uh, you go to entertainment.ign.com. Here in Los Angeles, we are uh, we're not game-focused. We are, you know, we do movies, TV... Uh, comic tech stuff and, and, and music. So, uh, you know, if you, if you want to find my stuff, you can you can go to entertainment.ign.com or any of those channels that I just listed and you'll, you might find something that I put together. So. Awesome. Well, thanks again for joining us, Phil. Yeah. yeah. We'll see you later. Alright. Um, let's take a quick break. When we come back, uh, Ben's brother and 3D proponent Graham will weigh in on the discussion and tell us what he thought about Noah Baumbach's latest film, Greenberg. Stick around. I don't want to get paid to lose. I want to win! 90.7!
And we're back on 90.7 FM. This is Aspect Radio. Joining us once again from New York City is Ben's brother, Graham Flanagan, to help us with this ongoing 3D discussion. Graham, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Corey. It's great to be here. Now, your favorite movie of 2009 was Robert Zemeckis' A Christmas Carol in 3D, and you've typically been a fan of the format each time you've experienced it. So tell us why it is you enjoy it so much and why you think audiences do, too. I, you know, I think it's something that we're not used to. It's new. And it's, it's a new way to enjoy uh, a movie. Um, and I think people are going to get used to it, and it might not have the same appeal that it does now, uh, you know, if, if they continue to churn them out like this. But I think that with uh, Christmas Carol and with Beowulf, uh, Robert, who, which was also directed by Robert Zemeckis, that thing brought you into this uh, richly designed and detailed world and just, that is literally another dimension to your experience. Well, Graham, uh, you pointed out to me yesterday, and uh, we actually just talked about it in the last segment with Phil. Uh, I read the LA Times blog written by Patrick Goldstein where he commented on the uh, Variety article about DreamWorks animation chief Jeffrey Katzenberg's recent interview um, where he suggests that, you know, it, the, the article suggests that he's still pretty raw over the Warner Brothers uh, applying the 3D retrofit to Clash of the Titans and uh, subsequently stealing the bulk of 3D theaters occupied by the previous week's new release, uh, How to Train Your Dragon, which grossed lower than expected numbers, even when theaters ramped up 3D ticket prices to cash in on the wave of popularity with audiences. And in the article, uh, Katzenberg says the latest trend in 3D conversion isn't doing anything for the art form and even insists that it could mark the end of the format as we know it. And I'll read this quick excerpt, so bear with me here for a second. Uh, we've seen the highest end of 3D in Avatar, and you have now witnessed the lowest end of it in Clash of the Titans. You cannot do anything that is of a lower grade and a lower quality than what has just been done on Clash of the Titans. It is literally... Uh, it literally is, okay, congratulations, you just snookered the movie audience. The act of doing it was disingenuous. We may get away with it a few times, but in the long run, moviegoers will wake up, and the day they wake up is the day they walk away from us and we blew it. Now, Graham, does Katzenberg have the right to project this particular kind of attitude, and what do you think of his response? I mean, wow, we're not really used to studio heads publicly talking about rival studios. You know, it's kind of cool. First of all, and second of all, you know, it's a Warner Brothers, Clash of the Titans was a Warner Brothers movie, and I'm a, I work for Time Warner, which is the parent company of Warner Brothers, so the more money that movie makes, the uh, closer I'll be to getting those titleist golf clubs I've got my eye on. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, he, he definitely has, and, and I have yet to see Clash of the Titans, uh, but if I do see it, it will... Unless I win free tickets uh, on the ra from the radio or something, I will go to see it in, in 2D because of the, my knowledge that it was quickly retrofitted. Now, this decision to make it 3D, as we say, was was made only weeks before the movie came out. I mean, they, they literally were cashing in now. But look, he, he can say all he wants about how it's lowering the art form, but it did nothing to lower the box office receipts. People do not care right now. That movie made almost $70 million, uh, which nearly eclipsed How to Train Your Dragon's opening weekend. Uh, you know, I, I don't think, so that's why I'm not really, you know, I enjoy the way that, that Katzenberg is engaging with the public about this and, and uh, putting his feelings out there. It's entertaining. But I really side with him just because he's angry 
apparently that it's making so much money. It might have lowered the art form, as he says, but it, that movie is a smash hit after one weekend. It might not work in the future, as I said, as people get uh, kind of burnt out by 3D. But, you know, it, they made the decision, they made the investment, and it paid off. Well, um, Graham, I, you know, I'll ask you what I asked Phil. What has been your favorite 3D experience so far? Uh, well, I love Avatar, uh, and that was that was a totally unique uh, experience for me. But um, I, for me, it was it was Christmas Carol. You know, it was the, my favorite film of that year, and we've talked about it many times on the show. So when when uh, when you have the, that 3D technology enhancing this you know, enhancing your favorite film of the year, that kind of wins in that category. Yeah, you know, I, I mentioned in the last segment, I felt that, like, the 3D really, really made that movie for me. Um, and, and, you know, honestly, that's one of my favorite uses of 3D so far, too, A Christmas Carol and, uh, and Coraline, uh, which just had fantastic uh, stop-motion animation that was shot in 3D, and... Uh, I mean, that movie just looked great, but... Um, well, well, let me say, I mean, now, you know, you can kind of <clears throat> advertise my appearance on this program as being the, the 3D guy. Uh, I've had some, some really positive experiences with the beginning with uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Audience <laughs> at Epcot Center <laughs> at uh, Walt Disney World many years ago. But then with Beowulf, uh, Avatar, Christmas Carol, and most recently, How to Train Your Dragon, which so far to me is the best movie to be released this year. Uh, but I had, you know, I I was really disappointed when last summer I could not find in New York City a theater that played Up in 2D. Up was retrofitted for 3D, and I was disappointed by that not only because I had to pay the higher ticket price, because I knew that it wasn't conceived and executed in 3D. That they just, you know, retrofitted it like they did with Clash of the Titans. And uh, while some some parts of the movie, um, you know, it. it that were kind of neat when when uh, the house was flying around through the rain, etc. That was pretty neat. But overall, I would have preferred uh, just to watch just to watch being two D, and and it was kind of disappointing that I didn't really have a choice. I mean, literally, you could not find a theater in New York City that played it in two D. Uh, but and all you know, with with even with Avatar, Alice and Wonderland, How to Train Your Dragon, the Titans, it seems like you have a much easier uh, chance of making it place. Well, uh, Graham, I'm with you on the early 3D experiences that we had because I was, you know, I was with you uh, for most of those at, like, Universal Studios with the Terminator yeah. 3D movie, which is that directed... That is really cool. Yeah, which is directed by James Cameron, you know, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. That was a really neat theatrical experience anyway, but also at Disney World with Honey, I Shrunk the Audience and the Muppet 3D movie yeah. um those were a lot of fun because you know for me i was a little kid and it it, it was kind of 3d as gimmick where things are you know flying out of the screen uh at you and you know today it's more of like an immersion um that the filmmakers are trying to uh use to enhance 
the overall experience. And I've got to say, um, to this day, I still prefer the gimmick aspect of 3D, where it's just kind of like, okay, well, we know exactly what 3D is going to do. That's you know, they're going to, um, we're, we're not going to, we're going to expect it, but they're just going to kind of throw things uh, as we sit, throw things at us as we sit there and uh, scare us, have us jump out of our seats. I, I like that. That's that's the way I like it. But when I watch uh, Avatar, which has been, I, I'll admit, it's been the best 3D. Uh, immersion experience so far I still don't really care for it it's not how I want to watch a movie and I don't think it's going to change the way uh, I think about movies or how I want to watch them so what I, I am happy about is that they still give us the choice they still give us the option of watching it in 3d or 2d and unless again like i said before unless something like avatar comes out where it's like okay you know bear with us we're making a case for this uh format um I'm I'm just gonna I'm gonna choose to see the 2D movie, you know. Just well, I think that I think that uh, the point that that um, you know this and, and to yours when you use it and you're kind of making a movie for the 3D format, like and so you're using it as a gimmick, you know, to entertain and engage the audience. Phil uh, said that it, it, it works really well with horror movies, and I really think that that uh, this Piranha 3D that's coming out later this year. I think it's going to, you know, they're, they're designing this movie for 3D. And, I, you know, there are going to be tons of piranhas flying at the screen <laughs> and body parts flying at the screen. I think it's going to work. I think it's going to get really good, just probably because we have, we have yet, you know, we've, we've had this deluge of, uh, of uh, 3D movies, but I think this is going to be one of the first where it's just kind of tweaked to, you know, use the most recent technology to really um, draw in and make them jump and squirm and you know so I'm, I'm looking forward to that i think that's cool and, and i would probably see that I, I would want to see that and that's how i'd want to experience a 3d movie but when i'm watching avatar and sigourney weaver and giovanni rubisi and uh you know sam worthington are in the control room and yeah. they're just kind of talking about what's happening on pandora and there's no action going on but you're still watching it in 3d that does nothing for me and right, it, right. you know, I, at at that point, I you know, it's hurting my head. It literally is. I just want to take my glasses off, and as I look at the screen, you're basically getting the same exact right. image. And Corey, what do you think about that? I mean, when there's not any action going on, and it's it's sort of just kind of relying on 3D to immerse an audience into the moment, does it work for you? Generally, it does. I, you know, I I would not list Avatar as one of like my top 3D experiences. Uh, though it was entertaining and though it was nice looking, probably for those reasons that you say there, because there was a lot of downtime where it was just people standing in offices. Uh, you know, with Coraline and with A Christmas Carol, I think you get that real sense of immersion um, that Avatar more or less tried to do and, and, and more or less succeeded with. But I, I, for some reason, I find, I find it easier in animated film. Uh, to come around to. Now, to address that, that issue, the very issue that you just mentioned, I read an interesting tidbit from the production of Tron Legacy. Apparently, the 3D in that film will be, you know, in the Tron universe, and everything in the real world is going to be 2D, apparently, um, which is kind of an interesting little trick. But will we still be wearing our glasses during yeah, the 2D? There's I not going to be like a put on your glasses message. I, you know, I wonder about that, actually. I, I don't know how they're going to do that. But, I kind of like that, actually. But I, I kind of like that gimmick, too. Yeah, if like, if like Jeff Bridges' voice came over, you know, like before a 3D experience, and it was like, put on your 3D glasses! <laughs> you or know? if you saw just like a, 
spinning like a spinning disc or something in the upper left hand corner, you know, where we'd established before the movie, you know, when you see this disc, put on your glasses, and so like that that might like flash in the upper left hand corner. And everybody's like, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that would be awesome, man. But I mean, look, until they uh, make me want to shell out the extra money to see these movies i'm not going to and right. at this point i just I'm, i don't feel compelled to pay the extra money or go see something in imax uh in yeah 3D. i think i was ripped off by uh alice in wonderland yeah yes. absolutely you know and, and katzenberg defends alice in wonderland he's like and yes uh and again i have all respect for jeffrey katzenberg i work for him one day but he's like yeah uh yeah class titans is a joke but Alice in Wonderland, yes, it was retrofitted, but Tim Burton specifically designed some of his live-action shots for this. If you don't buy that, it was retrofitted just like the rest of them. And, and uh, you know, that movie, to me, it, it did distract me from, from uh, what I was watching and then the narrative. And I was just kind of sitting around waiting, you know, okay, what's the next cool 3D image we're going to get? Yes, yeah, her falling down the rabbit hole was pretty neat, but... Um, you know, but I will say this, uh, at one point I kind of, uh, lost interest in the movie and just kind of zoned out, and, uh, it was, a, uh, the, one of the party sequences, and I think the, the March Hare flings like a saucer at somebody, and it, like, I, I jumped up, like, it, uh, it, it, it startled me, genuinely startled me, and, uh, and <laughs> I was the only one that, that it startled, I guess, in, like, my three, the three rows in front of me. And uh, these little kids that saw that it scared me started laughing at me. <laughs> <laughs> well, what about the uh, the Johnny Depp dance sequence? I mean, oh was that God. not one of the highlights uh, of the 3D? No, I mean, there's no there's no 3D involved in that. It's just kind of <laughs> him standing there spinning around and spinning head around. And, yeah, I know. don't care. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> like, I'm probably not going to see it. Oh, but, but how about this, though? And then, you know, we got horror movies. We got animated. We got live action. But then uh, in two weeks... Uh, Fish 3D will be released in yeah, theaters. Yeah, well, I'm glad you got a chance to pu- plug that, Graham. Well, I'm um, just saying, I mean, I, have, I haven't seen a concert movie in 3D. It'll be something new, too, and so it's, uh, I, they're my favorite band, so, I mean, of course, I'm a little biased here, but it's going to be interesting to, you know, sit through a two-hour Fish concert movie in 3D. What do you think about that? Well, you know, I'm probably not going to, you know, if I, even if I had the choice to do it, I probably wouldn't want to. I probably wouldn't do it. I'd rather watch that in 2D or in person, you know, and 3D doesn't make me feel like I'm watching a concert in person um, if it's Fish or the Jonas Brothers. Um, hmm. But I forgot about that. But Graham, um, to make one last point or to ask you one last question, and Corey, please do chime in here too, uh, you can immerse yourself in any movie experience, uh, whether it's a big action movie, adventure movie like Avatar, or a horror movie like The Final Destination or Piranha 3D, um, but you can also get the same kind of you know, psychological immersion into a film like The White Ribbon. Or Shutter Island. Greenberg or Shutter Island or something like that. Or the, you know, the Bright Star. Yeah, or Bright yeah. Star, as Corey might say. I when are we going to see? When are we going to see these movies get the 3D treatment? Well, I actually saw Greenberg in IMAX 3D. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you really do to help it. No, <laughs> I, you know, you're right, Ben. I think that you will. I think you're you're going to see filmmakers that are kind of as to kind of take a jab at the system. Uh, and to satirize it, there is, there is somebody is going to say, you know, is going to play a filmmaker like Woody Allen or somebody like that to make their movie in 3D just to be like, 
what's the point, you know? You seem like a lot of wine in 3D. <laughs> yeah, well, I think I think it's going to happen. I think they'll probably experiment at first with the retrofit. But I think I read in an article recently that it costs, you know, with with some of these companies, if you want to retrofit uh, a theatrical movie into 3D, it costs like fifty thousand dollars per minute of content. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. That is unbelievable. But uh, Graham, why don't you stick around a little bit? You're going to tell us about what you've watched. Uh, in New York lately and perhaps on DVD. Corey, Corey and I will give us our DVD picks, but will you stick around with us for the next segment? Yeah. Okay, sure. well, um, we'll be right back. Uh, well, Graham will tell us about uh, happenings in New York City, and Corey uh, will dish you some, some nice new DVD releases, and I might have a pair myself. So stick around here on 90.7 FM. This is Aspect Radio. You're just hurting yourself with this rambunctious behavior. 90.7 back here on Aspect Radio. This is the Movie Talk Show on 90.7. I'm joined by my co-host Corey Kraft, and my guest today uh, is Graham Flanagan. He's joining us from New York City. Earlier you heard from Phil Owen, we had a nice discussion on 3D. Um, good stuff, uh, but let's jump into our DVD picks, and then we'll get to some of the stuff we've seen in theaters. Corey saw Date Night last night, and yep. he'll tell us a little bit about that, and Graham has seen some uh, some films in New York recently. But, uh, Corey, why don't you go ahead and dig, get into craft services? Well, uh, it's a good week to catch up on your reading. Um, we're, <laughs> in the, we're in the doldrums as far as new releases go. Uh, next week sees the release of a bunch of smaller movies that never played here, like uh, the new Broken Lizard movie, The Slam and Salmon. Um, God, they've kind of fallen off of the face of the earth, haven't they, after uh, yeah. Club Dread? Yeah. I mean, it, it, Beer Fest got a wide release, too, but right. like, nobody saw it. But Beer Fest was the follow-up to Super Troopers, right? Or no, was Club Dread? Club Dread okay, was. I didn't know yeah. the order, but yeah, I guess Beer, Beer Fest was a little more popular. Yeah, a little bit. Club Dread was just a was just a flop. I mean, it, it, it's okay, but <laughs> uh, but um, also next week the the widely released, but nobody saw this one either. Um, Pirate Radio, uh, Richard Curtis's follow up to Love Actually, um, which I haven't seen. <laughs> uh, so. You know, it's uh, it's a good week to uh, do other things. Spend, out, spend time with your family. There know, was one that outside. you <laughs> there was one that you mentioned last week, uh, and that Graham is also a big fan of, which was Bad Lieutenant. Oh, yeah, Port of Call, New Orleans, which is now out on DVD. Graham, tell, uh, I, I seem to remember you mentioning that on our Best of 2009 show, um, but you know, why should people check that out? Uh, I think people. Anybody who is a fan of Nicolas Cage uh, will see this and, and become an even bigger fan of his. And people on the fence about whether or not Nicolas Cage is a good actually a good actor based on his you know, string of Hollywood kind of cheesy uh, event movies. This will prove that he indeed is a, a fearless actor willing to take chances. Um, and it's uh, very interesting work from uh, and, and um, 
uncharacteristic work from Werner Herzog, who's all over the place. I mean, he makes Vietnam War dramas, he makes documentaries about Antarctica, and then, you know, kind of cheesy, tongue-in-cheek cop films. I mean, this guy's all over the place, so it's just a testament to his uh, versatility. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing it. I haven't yet, uh, but I will I will definitely try that out this weekend or next week uh, to pull something out of the DVD bin. Uh, I'm going to look at Oliver Stone's Talk Radio uh, tonight uh, from 1988, starring the uh, the guy with as much star appeal as you could pro- possibly think of, Eric Bogosian, <laughs> or the bad guy from Under Siege 2, Dark Territory. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, but and I'm either going to check out either Michael Powell's Age of Consent from 1969 or Lars von Trier's Antichrist on Netflix's Instant Watch feature. Have fun with that. Yeah, I don't know. It probably won't happen. <laughs> I mean, um, it's uh, it's either completely insane or a masterpiece. I don't. I still haven't made up my mind on it. Yeah, and I'm still kind of uh, recovering from the last Talking Fox movie that I watched recently, <laughs> Fantastic Mr. Fox. So we'll see. And also, uh, let me throw out this this recommendation. Uh, I watched what I, I would probably consider my favorite film of 2005 now, just kind of looking back. Mm-hmm. Uh, I watched Joe Wright's Pride and Prejudice, um, which is one of the best debuts from Absolutely. a filmmaker that I've seen in a long time, but it is just a beautiful film. Uh, it's beautiful looking. Uh, the The score is just it's unreal how good the score is, and I can't believe that it didn't bring home the Oscar uh, that year. But um, in the performances as well. But really, the, the I think the the crowning achievement of that movie is how well Jane Austen's language translates and how accessible they make it to just about anybody. I think that that's a movie that they should show in high schools everywhere uh, in terms of whatever they're reading. Hopefully, they're approaching Austen. Uh, in some way, but I think that that's that's one where if you've got a substitute teacher um, one day in your English class, that's one you can just throw on and uh, let the kids enjoy. But uh, Graham, I know that you're also a big fan of that movie. Yeah, I am. I am for sure. Yeah, but I, you, if we're talking about 2005, though, like what would you go with? Would you go with Pride and Prejudice or Match Point? It's it's close, but but uh, I, I'll I stick by Match Point. Mm-hmm. Um. But you know that's that's not taking anything away from from Pride and Prejudice. I just think that, uh, and even you know, I, I think that, and right now I'm just kind of arguing with myself in my head. It's like that I do. I think the match point, um, the the whole part with like the police investigation at the end, where it you know it, it sort of it doesn't feel as excellent as everything that leads up to that. You know, his whole uh, Jonathan Reese Myers' character of uh, uh, his whole process of getting into the family and then betraying his wife and covering it up, which is just perfection. But, yeah, Pride and Prejudice is a near-perfect movie as well. Corey, I know you're a big Joe Wright fan. Yeah, yeah. Just for uh, a quick word on Pride and Prejudice, Mm -hmm. um, that and uh, Joe Wright's follow-up, Atonement, were recently released on Blu-ray. And if I could ever find them in stores, maybe I would purchase them. They're both visually very lush movies. If we're talking 2005, though, uh, my favorite movie was um, was George Clooney's Good Night and Good Luck. Yeah, all the way. Great one. Hey, uh, Corey, there's this store called Amazon.com. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. always open. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Good point, Graham. <laughs> um, I, I kind of deserve that. Yeah. You don't have to get up. You know. You can just click, and it'll it'll happen. Uh, right. Right. Good all stuff. Right. And I'm looking forward to Joe Wright's new movie Hannah, which is currently filming, right. uh, starring Kate Blanchett and Shirsha Ronan. 
I believe, is also in it, and I forget which actor is in it. Do you know off the top of your head? Not off the top. Either of the way, head, we'll no, find no. out later. But Graham, uh, you mentioned to me that you've watched something on DVD recently that uh, caught your attention. Something that you might uh, have been a little late to the party too. What was I that? Was. Uh, yeah, last night I, I finally popped in Bronson uh, on Blu-ray. Oh, nice. Man, what a movie that is. Just, uh, it is a ride. Uh, you got this, this actor, Tom Hardy, playing this, this character, Charles Bronson. No, no relation to the, the Hollywood star of, the, of movies like Death Wish and uh, Once Upon a Time in the West. But, uh, he, so basically it's about this uh, Brit, Great Britain's most famous most brutal prisoner, this guy that was just kind of born to be incarcerated and uh, continued to raise hell out of life. He's still in prison. And this movie is directed with uh, just total bravado uh, on, on all levels and just an incredible performance by this guy, Tom Hardy, who I'm sure we'll be hearing from a lot in the next few years. He's been doing his thing for about uh, about 10 years. But uh, we'll, we'll be, he was in Maria in a role, um, you know, yeah, you wouldn't have recognized him after you'd seen Bronson, but man, just a heck of a performance and just a just a pretty awesome movie. I think that that will gain cult status. You know, they need to start playing this on HBO so that it can get some uh, some play. You guys feel the same way? Yeah, no, I thought it was outstanding. Um, Tom Hardy's performance is is really great. I think wasn't he the villain in one of those Star Trek movies? One of the yeah. last was it Nemesis? Nemesis? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, he's great, um, and we talked about him on the Best of 2009 show, um, that, uh, he, I mean, his performance is, is just an eye-opener, you know, he's, he's co-starring in, um, in Christopher Nolan's next movie, Inception. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's something to look forward to. Yeah, totally. Interesting casting, though, because, I mean, I, I'm always interested when you just now hear about, uh, an, you know, an up-and-comer, um, like Tom Hardy, who delivers, you know, this this you know, quietly received, I guess, uh, performance because not many people saw it, but he just completely blows people away who actually saw it. Yeah. And then, you know, once you're watching it, you see that he's cast in this major production directed by Christopher Nolan. So obviously, Nolan and or the studio they were aware of what Tom Hardy was capable of doing and what kind of impact that performance might have had. I really liked it, and you know, I think it's really easy for people who see Bronson uh, to compare it to Chopper. Uh, starring Eric Ben, I think uh, people think that they kind of go hand in hand, and I agree with that. And if I had to pick between the two, I, it, the film, the films anyway, I would pick Chopper. But I really do think that um, this filmmaker, other than you know Tom Hardy, he's got a future. Absolutely, he's mm -hmm. going to be Mad Max. Um, but you've also got this filmmaker, and his name escapes me at the moment. Reppin yeah, Nicholas Reppin. Yeah, I think he's got a future too, and I think that there are a lot of obvious. Uh, well, nods well, to Kubrick in the movie, especially just in terms of how the camera moves, how static the camera is, and those uh, very, very slow uh, fading transitions. Well, the thing is, though, this guy, uh, the filmmaker Reffin, which is spelled R-E-F-F and Flanagan in, uh, he's been, he is already a worldwide phenomenon. Uh, he directed this, the Pusher trilogy, which I haven't seen, but just get, got, gained him all kinds of acclaim when he was like a very young guy. He's already very well respected in you know indie circle. He's been he's been around. I mean, that the first one came out in '96. So you know, and uh, he's directed a film since Bronson. Um, but yeah, hopefully, hopefully Bronson will will get him uh, some sweet. 
So, Graham, um, Ben and I are both very interested to see the new Noah Baumbach film, Greenberg, uh, which hasn't been booked anywhere in Alabama yet, but you caught it uh, recently. What, what, what did you think about it? Well, it's the first, it's Hollywood's first big-budget mumblecore movie. <laughs> Isn't that exciting? Not really. No, it is, though. It, uh, you know, this so-called, I'll do a little background, this so-called mumblecore movie is associated with ultra low budget uh, movies about uh, young, uh, attractive, uh, white, upwardly mobile people uh, in their t late 20s, early 30s, trying to figure out what to do with their lives and and uh, through relationships, etc. And uh, movies like uh, the, the Puppy Chair might even fall into that category because the Duplass brothers are so closely associated with Mumblecore. And uh, LOL, Hannah Takes the Stairs. Uh, kissing on the mouth, etc. Now, just to get to, to Greenberg. Now, okay, uh, this uh, this is Ben Spiller as a socially maladjusted guy from New York. He's like he's forty years old, and we find out that he used to be and that had some buzz when uh, he was in his twenties. But he thought that he didn't want to sell out to the corporate record company that had made his band record deal, and he was the only guy in the band that didn't want to go along with the deal. So <laughs> he basically ruined his life and the lives of all of his friends. So uh, now we catch up with him when he's 40 and he's at Los Angeles visiting his brother. He's just been in a mental institution and uh, he starts a relationship with his brother's assistant who is the mumblecore darling Greta Gerwig who's been in a lot of these mumblecore films. Um, they start a relationship and it's just about him you know, getting back on track and figuring out how to be uh, a real human being that connects with other people. Uh, for fans of Ben Stiller, it's a must-see but it is not. Uh, it is not meet the parents. It is definitely uh, tough to watch at times. Oh, super awkward and uncomfortable at times. Uh, but still, a nice, a nice uh, breezy piece of work from Noah Baumbach. <laughs> who, man, I mean, his previous effort, Margot at the Wedding, was about as dark as they come. Right. But really good, though. Yeah. 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 I oh, mean, yeah. He's made really good movies. You know, the for the the last two that I've seen. Squid in the Well, especially, and uh, I actually really liked Margot at the wedding. So I look I'm forward glad to, to this. hear you say that yeah. because I thought I was the only one. No, I loved it, and I know that uh, our mutual friend Ryan Mazur, who's up in New York interning with the Onion, uh, he also loves Margot at the wedding. Um, but Graham, you mentioned Mumblecore, and I visited mm -hmm. uh, our you know our friend Glenn Kenny's blog recently, and he linked to a Slate.com article written by. Uh, lady named Jessica Grose, and it's called uh, Naked Honesty, Why Mumblecore Nudity Will Never Go Mainstream. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's this pretty extensive essay that um, focuses on this Greta Gerwig girl who you you know yeah. said is like the mumblecore queen. Um, but it's a pretty interesting read, uh, to say the least, and that's at Slate.com, but you can find it at somecamerunning.typepad. And, and that, that mumblecore nudity is in Greenberg. Uh, Greta Gerwig does, is nude. Uh, ben Stiller does perform an act on her that I won't repeat. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's there for sure. This movie is not for kids or families. It's rated R for a reason. Um, but just one more point about Mumblecore. Uh, it is kind of silly to talk, you know, and the, the, peop the proponents of the genre will be like, Mumblecore is just a corporate word. It's not, it doesn't really. <laughs> but, okay, look, that might be true, it might not be true. But if you're going to, if you really want to know what this, can be what the potential of it is. Uh, you need to check out this movie called Mutual Appreciation. 
Uh, it is excellent, uh, and and it's a just just one of the best movies. Right now, it's on my top ten of uh, you know of the last ten years. Uh, excellent. It's called Mutual Appreciation. It's, uh, so you know you can get it on Netflix. Highly, highly recommended. And I have yet to see anything come close, even Greenberg. It is really good. I like the movie, and I forget the name of the director. Do you know off the top Andrew of your head? Andrew Bujalski. Right, and he's, yeah. you know, I guess, you know, he's kind of like a pioneer of this mumblecore genre before it was called mumblecore. Uh, but it's just this very, very minimalist uh, filmmaking uh, on the part of him, and he's been successful with it. And it's basically kind of like you're watching real people have real conversations, and it, it's compelling, too, especially in that film. Uh, but <clears throat> I like that we're getting perspectives from each coast today, Corey. I mean, we're here in Tuscaloosa, <laughs> but we had somebody from Los Angeles starting us off, and now we've got Graham up there in uh, the Big Apple, and uh, we asked Phil what, you know, since he's got all access to any movie he wants to see in theaters, we asked him what he would see. He says he's going to see The Square today. Uh, Graham, what's next on your list of priorities for movies that you can only see in New York? Uh, well, there's a movie playing down at the landmark Sunshine, Mark Cuban Theater, uh, uh, it's like an indie theater called Waking Sleeping Beauty, and it's a documentary about Disney animation in the 1980s when it wasn't at its strongest. This is kind of, they made like Fox and the Hound and uh, the Black Cauldron, and then they just were kind of considering shutting down the, the studio, but then uh, eventually they kind of figured out what, what to do and where they were going, and they made The Little Mermaid and then Aladdin, uh, Beauty and the Beast, and The Lion King, and kind of propelled Disney animation back to the forefront and allowed them to bring Pixar out. So it's, you, you see like a young Tim Burton, a young Lassiter, when they were just kind of hired hands, um, and you get to see just kind of the progression of, uh, of the Disney animation studio when it was unsuccessful to being just mega successful. So I'm really seeing that. Yeah, I'd like to see it too. I'll go ahead and save it on my Netflix queue uh, because... <laughs> Corey and I will not be able to see it uh, in theaters unless we, you know, take a trip to New York or L.A. Uh, unless it comes to Atlanta, and Corey, I know you're pretty quick to make the drive to Atlanta. In some cases, I don't know if Waking Sleeping Beauty uh, will force you to do that. But let's jump into a few announcements. Opening nationwide in Tuscaloosa, uh, or nationwide and in Tuscaloosa at the Cobb Hollywood 16 specifically this weekend. Date Night, starring Tina Fey and Steve Carell. Corey, you saw it last night. Give us a quick word. Yeah. Okay, well, also opening in Tuscaloosa uh, this weekend, The Black Waters of Echo's Pond, an R-rated movie, a horror movie starring Robert Patrick, the T-1000. Um, I had never heard of it before yesterday, but, you know, whatever. Yeah, what is that? Yeah, I will go with it. Just look it up. Yeah, you know, the thing about, the, like, the Ouija board, where they all kind of play this game. Huh. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I've never heard of it. I think that's... Uh, I've got a quick little anecdote that you guys will enjoy about movies in New York City. Okay. Um, I was walking uh, on the Upper West Side last weekend and uh, past this theater where the box office is like out on the street and um, these kids, I guess, I guess Clash of the Titans was sold out and uh, these kids were standing out there and, and I think they were mad that it was sold out, you know, and... Uh, one of them says to the to the box office cashier, he goes, I don't care. I'll watch that mess on the internet when I get home. <laughs> yeah, well. Kind of a sign of the times. Yeah, I guess. I thought, I thought you were going to say that they were, like, sneaking into some indie movie, you know, that they thought, you know, would be awesome because it was R-rated. That reminds me of that. Simpsons is Barton Fink. Yeah, where they say, we're, yeah. We, we, you know, we're going to go sneak into an R-rated movie. It's called Barton Fink. 
Wait, what? what? I thought it was Naked Lunch. No, it was. No, I think that there's another episode where like where uh, somebody goes to see Naked yeah, Lunch. Yeah, you see somebody like, walk out of the theater. He says, Man, I can think of at least two things wrong with that title. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, but you know the Barton Fink thing. The kids yeah. drive off cheering Barton Fink. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's one of the best Simpsons Simpsons moment I've ever seen. Maybe we can get that audio uh, here pretty soon. But uh, another movie opening uh, in Tuscaloosa: Letters to God. Um, Roman Polanski's newest film, The Ghost Rider, starring Ewan McGregor and Pierce Brosnan, is now playing at the Carmike Summit. And this one's great. This yeah. is a. Oh, is that uh, next to Nicholas Cage? Like he's back? What? I didn't know they already came out with a sequel. Oh, to Ghost Rider? <laughs> yeah, good one, Graham. Man, that went over my head there for a second. Yeah, it went over mine, too. Yeah, um, but anyway, Corey, you've seen that? Yeah, yeah, this is this is a fun movie. It's it's a really good little thriller, and uh, if you're going to take a date night, perhaps see this one over date night. <laughs> oh, oh, God, Corey. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. Uh, well, Corey is uh, striking out today. All right, if you have any feedback, you can email us at 90.7movies at gmail.com. If you feel we've missed something or you have any suggestions as to films we can review or topics we can discuss, please do email us. You can also follow us on Twitter at, at aspectradio or twitter.com slash aspectradio. We may, we may even read a comment or two on the air, so keep them coming. Yeah, and we will podcast this and other episodes of the show, and you can find those at our blog, aspectradio.tumblr.com, and that's Tumblr spelled T. T-U-M-B-L-R. And we'll also post the podcast on Twitter and Facebook. And you can catch my and Corey's columns in Tusk Magazine, found in every Friday edition of the Tuscaloosa News. Graham, thanks so much for joining us to talk about 3D, DVDs, and stuff that's playing in New York and theaters. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Hopefully you'll do it again here in the very near future. And for Corey Kraft, I'm Ben Flanagan. We thank also Phil Owen for joining us from Los Angeles. We hope you tune in next week where we journey into this black hole of discourse on the state of film criticism. Thanks for listening. Thank you.